You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to My Victory. Welcome to all of you that are joining us online, wherever you are around the world. 23 nations now that have uh, been tuning in. Five continents. We're still waiting for Antarctica to show up. <laughs> and, and South America. If you know anybody in South America, I know many of you do. Uh, let's, let's get that, and then we can work on Antarctica. Anybody know anybody in Antarctica? No? Okay. Wherever you are, why don't you say hi on the chat. Hi, Allie. Hi, Jen. Hi, Dorothy. Uh, John's on there. Uh, Carson's on there, of course. Uh, Lin- Lindsay is on there. Uh, Jaden from Saskatchewan's on there. We, man, it's so good. We have on YouTube as well. We see Tom on there. Hey, Tom, good to see you. And uh, Carly is there as well. Man, give them a big hand. Welcome to all of you. Part two of our series, The Kingdom. And yes, we're talking about the kingdom uh, of God. And why are we talking about the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus announced it in Matthew chapter 4 when he started his ministry. He announced that I, he came bringing the message of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus' main mission, main message was to bring the message of the kingdom. So if we understand the kingdom, we will understand Jesus. It's his mission. It's his message. If we understand the kingdom, we will understand his message. We'll understand Jesus better. And, and I made a statement last week that, that I think a lot of us, including myself, before I dove into all of this, and I still don't know if I have a full grasp on the kingdom of God, but there's so much in, in the New Testament, in particular about the kingdom of God, Old Testament as well. But in the New Testament, 162 times the kingdom of God is mentioned. 162 times. It was the message of Jesus. It was the message of the early church. It was something they understood, which gave them resilience to be able to to endure, and not only just endure, but thrive and to grow exponentially in the first, second, third century of the church. And yet, I think today, it's not something that we talk about often. And after doing all this study, I think it's something we're going to want to talk about more often, especially understanding it more clearly. But I think it's something that as Christians... I certainly grew up not understanding it or being taught in a way that, I don't know, brought clarity. And I think it proved this week on, on Facebook and just some of the conversations that I saw on Facebook, some of our, our, on, on our, our own posts, we advertise and we put it out there, that, you know, Christians come in, they start saying, well, the kingdom of God, da, 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 and I'll rattle all this stuff off. And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> not really. We, we don't fully grasp the kingdom of God, and yet we need to. And, and so we're, that's what the purpose of this series is, is kind of doing a Bible study. And, and last week I set up a foundation, and if you missed last week, I'm going to give you very quickly, but I really encourage you to go back and, and get a handle on this thing. We started in, in Luke chapter 11, and Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, of course, the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, verse 2. He says, when you pray, say... Okay, so he's telling his followers, when you pray, say these things. We're still followers of Jesus today, and yet, so we need to, you know, I know many of us have said this, the Lord's Prayer, especially if you grew up, you know, Catholic school, or as a Catholic, you, you said it over and over and over again to the point where we miss the power in it, I think, sometimes. It just becomes ritualistic, and we miss the power of these words. But when you pray, say, your kingdom come. Okay, when uh, we have to understand what, what he's... What that means, your kingdom come. So we, last week we just, uh, here's the foundation again. We said that a kingdom, in defining what a kingdom is, 
we, you know, we need to define that there's certain attributes to a kingdom. A kingdom needs to have a king. <laughs> Obviously, it's the kingdom just simply the word means a dominion of a king. Okay, a kingdom needs to have a government, which we learned last week that, that a, a government is the laws or way of doing things. That's how you define governments, the laws or way of doing things. Now, a kingdom is different than a democracy, which is one of the reasons why I think today, many in the church today don't fully understand kingdom or when, when, when the early church, when Jesus talked about the kingdom, I think it's an analogy that he used or a word that he used to really, for the purpose of really defining that, he, that the kingdom or the territory of, of heaven has now descended on earth and that, that God's will has now come to earth. And it's a, it's a word that Jesus used and it's a word the early church used to say, hey, heaven came, God came. And set up a territory here, which is, which, and, and it, just in using that in those days, they understood what, what he was talking about. Today, I think because we live in a democracy, one of the things that we misunderstand is that in a kingdom, what's different between a kingdom and a democracy, is that the law or the government, the way of doing things, is completely based on the king in a kingdom. In a democracy, the constitutions and, and generally, for, for the most part, the laws are already established in that democracy and the prime minister or the president can come in. They influence a little bit here and there, but really the government is, is kind of what drives the whole thing and it kind of sets the whole thing. In a kingdom, the laws and way of doing things are completely dictated by the king, which is why in, in Israel, and we see the history of, of Israel in the Old Testament, they, they flip-flopped all over the place from the gods they worshipped to, to this, the style of, of, of kingship or the kingdom or, or the nation that they were was completely based on the king that they had, and it changed dramatically. That's important for us to know because when we, when we talk about the kingdom of God, I'm going to set that up um, and, and point out why that's so huge. But a kingdom needs to have a, a king, a government, and it also needs to have a territory. Writing sideways is fun. All right. Now, having a territory, which a kingdom without a territory, not much of a kingdom. This is one of the areas that I think I'm most misunderstood about the kingdom of God, because whenever I see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, I automatically assumed, and by reading on comments on Facebook, I think a lot of Christians misunderstand that the fact that the kingdom of God is not just its territory, his territory is not just in heaven. Yes, he's on the throne in heaven, and yes, he reigns from there, but his territory is not just in heaven. And here's why that makes such a difference, is because salvation is not just salvation from hell in eternity. It, we're not just trying believing in Jesus so that we can escape hell when we die and get to heaven. The salvation is not just salvation from hell. Salvation is, is a completely cha a change of citizenship. Okay? Of living under one king or one dominion and, and beginning and choosing and to live under another. And that changes things. Because if we're just occupying time and space now to one day be a part of the kingdom of God, that's different than what Jesus came preaching. Different than what Jesus prayed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, different. 
Now, a kingdom also has to have citizens, okay? And we learned from last week, Paul said this in, in Philippians 3 and also in Philippians 1, that we are citizens of heaven and when we begin to accept Jesus as our king. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus came and started saying the kingdom is now here, and he came announcing the kingdom is now here. Then the kingdom of God is now, the king is now Jesus, okay, which is massive change because the king brought a new law, a new government. See, Jesus came as, as a Jew in a very religious t uh, time, and the, it, in Israel at that time was very much Judaism, which is Judaism is based on the laws of Moses. It's an, an entire religion based on the laws of Moses. And, and Judaism, their Bible was the first five books called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the, the, the prophets. Many of the different prophets were what made up the Torah. And when Jesus came, he would often quote from Moses or quote from the Torah. And in his first message, he said this, and, and you see this in Matthew. He says, you've heard it said, Torah, Moses, but I say which the Pharisees in that time kind of got a little worked up because the Pharisees were the scribes of, the, you know, the, the teachers of the law or the teachers of the Torah. And they went, what do you mean? You can't change our Bible and think that you're more powerful than and put your, set yourself up from our, only God can make those changes to which Jesus is like, uh-huh. And they got so upset because Jesus started changing their government, their law and way of doing things. Now, Isaiah prophesied that when Jesus came, when he'd be, you know, for unto you a child is born when Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, and the government or the laws and ways of doing things would be on his shoulders, and of his government, there and peace, there will be no end. In other words, this is, this is so key for us to understand, when Jesus became king, this changed. And the reason why this is so important is because, listen, and Christians need to understand this, because when we don't understand this, we begin to think that all of the Bible is equal. And we start to, to we begin to say, well, the Bible says. How many of you have said that me, uh, me, all, me, multiple times? Well, the Bible says. And we justify sometimes our mistreatment of others, or we stand up for our own rights, and we justify these things. Isn't this true? And atrocities have been committed in the name of God and, and to perpetuate Christianity and on behalf of the church. Terrible things have been done. Things that I'm ashamed of and embarrassed of that the Christians have done in mistreating people. Our nation was established in horrific ways on the name of God. How could that be? Because... We have taken all of the Bible and we've made it equal and we've started to, to not understand that King Jesus changed the laws. Jesus said this in John 13, a new command I give you. In other words, a new replacement command. The laws changed. Love one another as I have loved you. Now listen, you can't justify mistreating, enslaving, um, racism, 
what, in the name of God, standing up for you can't, you can't justify any of that under the law of love one another as I have loved you. Right? Jesus changed everything. And we need to understand that government, the kingdom of God is God's government and way of doing things. Jesus came preaching this. In his first message, he said this, but seek first his kingdom, Matthew 6. Seek first his kingdom. Seek, that's priority. Seek first. Kingdom first. Kingdom first is not just having the kingdom at the top of your list, you know, you know, God and my family and da, 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 all the rest of it, all the priority stuff that we've been taught. It's not, it's not saying, okay, God first. That's, he's, he's, no, no, he's saying kingdom first, laws and governments. That means having kingdom integrated into everything on your list. God first in your family. God first in your work. God first in, does that make sense? Kingdom first. Then he says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which righteousness simply means right standing with God. So seek first his way of doing things and right standing with God, and then all these things will be added unto you. Now, we've always focused at the end, at least I have, at the end of this verse, where all these things will be added unto you, but somehow we miss the emphasis of the kingdom. So what is the kingdom exactly, and what is his righteousness? Last week we laid the foundation, just went through that, spent way too much time doing that, but we're going to cruise through this. And I, I, was, I was, in preparing this, today we're going to get deep and make you uncomfortable. Is that all right? Sure. You're giving me permission. This is great. Anyway, it's good. All of you, some of you are like, uh... So I went looking for this one verse, uh, all the verses on the kingdom where it's mentioned, and there's one verse in Romans 14 that I was going to use, and then I started reading in context what that verse and all the context around it, and I started reading this entire chapter, Romans 14, and, and I was like, oh my, uh, this is a kingdom chapter. This is, oh my goodness. Um, okay, this is kind of relevant for today. So if you, I'm going to just go through these. I'm just going to read verses. And if you have a problem with what I'm, I'm going about to preach, you can email paultheapostle at heaven.com. Because he wrote it, I didn't. Just, just saying. Here we go. Romans 14, verse 1. Look at this. Except the one whose faith is weak. Okay, faith is weak. Weaker than what? Well, weaker, weaker than yours. Is this, this is my opinion that somebody's faith is weaker than, than my own. Except the one who you have an opinion of that their faith is weaker than yours. Without quarreling over disputable matters. Without quarreling over disputable matters. Good thing this was written 2,000 years ago and we got over all of that. And we don't have any disputable matters today. like masks or politics or theologies. <sighs> I guess we do. Okay, so this is relevant. Okay, good. Without quarreling over disputable matters. He goes on and he says this, verse 2. For one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I quote this to my wife all the time. <laughs> And saying, look, look it, look it, look it, look it, look it, look it. The Bible says, eating vegetables makes me weak. <laughs> I didn't write this, just, just saying. Paul wrote this. So Paul's saying, eat more meat. <laughs> Got it. Tell my wife all the time that, 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 that vegetables are only what meat eats. But anyway. 
<laughs> That's not what he's saying. Why, why is he mentioning this? Because he says in the next verse, he says this, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, why is this in the, like, what's the deal with eating meat and not eating meat and eating vegetables and not supposed to be a vegetarian? Oh, man, what my doctor said. Listen, it's not about the food. The, the most disputable matter in that time in the church was, was food. And the reason why this is a disputable matter, especially in Rome, to which he's writing to, is because much of the church, in the church were Jews, who had, were, were trying to, to follow Moses' laws, and, and the battle was how much of it do we keep and how much do we discard, because Moses said, don't eat pork, for instance. And the Romans were like, but bacon is good. I like bacon. And, and, they're like, and the Romans are going, like, well, good thing we don't have that Torah, that law, like all the rest of it. And so the Jews are saying, no, 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 no. this is the same God and, and all the rest of it. This is what the law says. And, this is, and, and so there's disputes in the church as to what to eat and what not to eat. This was a disputable matter. And Paul's saying right here, who cares? Because he's saying it's not about being right or wrong. It's about being one. Now watch, he goes on. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. They will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. In case we think that he's just talking about food as a disputable matter, he's like, no, no, no. Don't judge somebody else's work ethic or how they treat their, their employees or their staff. Don't judge that. And he's saying, and who cares? You know, one day is more sacred than another. I, listen, I've seen this, 2,000 years later, I see this argument still happening in the church as to which day is really the Sabbath and which day is the pagan one, which day is all the rest of it going on. And Paul's, Paul settled this long time ago and said, who cares? I mean, interesting, doesn't he say, he says fully convinced in their own mind. Well, fully convinced in their own mind is an interesting statement. Don't, don't all people do what they are fully convinced of? Not really. There are times, and maybe this is just me, where I, I believe something in an act of rebellion. Or let me just put it this way. I'm not really fully convinced of what I'm stating. I'm just really convinced that you're wrong. I'm not really fully convinced of my side. I just don't want to be on your side. <laughs> Anybody else? Have we done this? So he's like, each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. Then he goes on. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. Amen. Um, <laughs> For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Amen. Paul seems to indicate that it's more important, that, or that what is more important than being fully convinced you are right in your own mind is that you're fully convinced that you are right before God. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right standing with God. More than my own rights. He goes on and explains it. He says, for, for none of us lives 
for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether you live or die, we belong to the Lord. In other words, what's Paul saying in this verse? He's saying, Jesus is king. You're not. And he's saying the best way to live is under the king. As a citizen under the king, the best way to live is under the king. Why? Well, he explains that too. He says in verse nine, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that we might be, that he might be the Lord in both the dead and the living. I was like, oh, oh yeah. In case you're wondering why Jesus is king. Oh yeah, he died for your sins and paid a punishment that you deserve to pay so that you wouldn't have to. That's why it's better to live under him because you don't have to pay the punishment. If you accept him as king and place him up as king, you don't have to pay the punishment for what you deserve. I don't know about you. I'll worship him. I'll accept that and say thank you very much. And I'll live, not for my own, but for him. He goes on. He says, so then, why do you judge your, sister, your brother or sister? In other words, it's interesting that he uses the word judge. Because judge basically means I've now placed myself above another. He says, so why are you acting as king, judging your brother or sister? Get off the throne. Or why do you treat them with contempt? Because they vote for a different party than you. Because they believe in different stances on COVID than you. Because they have a different skin color than you. Because they come from a different side of town than you. I like, oh, come on, this is, is this relevant still? And he says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. We have no right to condemn anyone of anything because to do so would be to elevate ourselves above them. We are all under God's kingdom as brothers and sis sisters, citizens. Kingdomology, listen, this kingdomology, which is the mentality of, of kingdom, kingdomology doesn't generalize it's judgment of people. It individualizes judgment. Because look at Paul goes on, he says this. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So I get asked all the time from Christians, are Catholics saved? That would be generalizing judgment, right? 
Instead, in kingdomology, God holds each one of us to account regardless of what church we go to. Are Mormons saved? It's generalizing. God holds each one of us to account. Are we getting this yet? In kingdomology, God holds anyone responsible for their, for their own stuff. And he doesn't hold anyone responsible for someone else's sins, choices, or behaviors. And anytime you hear generalizations about people, that's not King Jesus. That's not kingdomology. Verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. What does he mean by stumbling block? Well, he tells us. He says this in verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Nothing, Paul? Nothing. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're not, no longer acting in love. So if I offended any vegetarians in here, my bad. I'm sorry. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. <laughs> Let's just put this to today. If you're convinced that wearing a mask is wrong or that drinking alcohol is all right or that swearing is not evil or that voting one way or another is right or more right and you do these things and make a public spectacle of this in front of someone that you know is having an issue with this action, then you're not acting in love. Remember, the law of Jesus is to love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus, hanging on a cross, barely alive, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Speaking of the very people that killed them. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. In other words, if it's causing division, it's not kingdomology. In kingdomology, there's unity and diversity as opposed to humanology where there's only unity and uniformity. And, and now I just got to the verse, verse 17. Look at this verse. This is the verse that I was originally going to quote. For the kingdom of God, in other words, for the kingdom, this is, this is everything that we've just read. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or voting or masks or not masks but of righteousness, which is right standing with God, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about right standing with God. It's about peace in your heart with God and with others. It's about joy, laughter, enjoyment with God and with others, which is an indication of right standing with God. And he says in verse 18, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and receives human approval. Pleasing God, that's the ultimate goal of being part of his kingdom is to, is to please the king. Receiving human approval, that's not a goal at all, but it's a byproduct of living under Jesus' government and way of doing things. If I love one another as, as Christ loved me, meant 
That's a lot more attractive, isn't it? Verse 19. Let us, that's us in this room, those watching, let, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. With who? With God and with others. And to mutual edification, regardless of what side they're on or not. Men. Come on, I mean, every effort. That, sometimes the effort, our efforts fall short, isn't that right? But we need to be the ones to make that effort, not waiting for the other ones to move. Well, when they do this and when they say that, then I will. Why? And he gives us the reason, all this. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of masks, for the sake of a political party, for the sake of whatever else you put in there. Theology. Do not destroy the work of the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. For the sake of a, a dispute. Because he says all food is clean. This, this, you guys aren't, I don't know if we're getting this yet. He says all political parties are clean. Oh, that's not right. Isn't it? I mean, just think about this. You can justify. I know Christians in this room that can justify one or the other. Quoting scripture. And it's right. Because it's not about that. It's about the kingdom. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. In other words, what he's saying is don't destroy the work of God. It's about him and his kingdom. Everything we do should be from that mindset. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and Facebook. <laughs> oh, I read that wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So whatever you believe, keep between yourself and God. Does that mean that I can't post my very strong opinions on Facebook? Because I got some. Yes, don't. Don't do it. It's not about you. It's not about being right. It's about him and making every effort to live at peace with others. Verse 23, he says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Are you seeing this? Listen, this is, this is what he's saying. Listen, this is what he's saying. Jesus's government and way of do, doing things is not about rules. It's about love. That's why he says everything's clean. I'm fully convinced. It's not about rules. Yeah, but what about? It's not about rules. It's about love. If I truly live under loving others like, like he loved, that's way hard. I would prefer rules, to be quite honest, because rules would be easier. Paul's saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus is not about rules. It's about love. It's about being governed 
for relationship with him and with others. Here's today's takeaway. In the kingdom of God, there is unity and diversity as opposed to only unity in uniformity. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, there is unity and diversity as opposed to only unity in uniformity. This is why Jesus chose fishermen to preach alongside tax collectors. <laughs> he took he took people who were anti-Roman protesters and put them on the same team as Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for Rome and modeled for us just in that, that the kingdom of God is unity and diversity. And then just before he dies and, and ascends to heaven, he prays, Father, make them one. So that the world will know. We, we sing how maybe we've misunderstood and misinterpreted kingdomology. Last week we looked at this verse, look at it again. Above all, that's a big priority. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, fighting together for the faith. Above all, seek first. When you pray, say, your kingdom come. This is, this is very important. Let's pray. God, help us with this. We haven't got this right. I haven't got this right. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Or two or three are gathered. There you are in the midst. Thank you for being within us. Help us, help me to love as Jesus loved. Help me to make every effort to live at peace with everyone. To have unity in the midst of diversity. God, help us to do this. Jesus, forgive us when we've got this wrong. Help us to get us right. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I don't know about you, but that message was so good and relieving. Uh, it's not about you know, the laws. It's about us loving one another, and that's how we're going to grow and get better as a church. Maybe you're watching this for the first time, and you've heard that message, and you're just like, wow, that really hit home. I want to give you the opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus. It's really simple, and all it is is saying a prayer, believing in your heart that God sent his son to rise on the third day, and then you can be saved. It says that scripturally. So if you're sitting on the other side of the screen, and you're like, yeah, I want to start a relationship with Jesus, and that message hit home for you and brought a little bit of levity, let's do this right now and pray along with me. Repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to come into my life and be the Lord of my life, my Savior, and my friend. 
I thank you that my past is past and that I could begin a new life with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, guys, if you said that prayer for the first time, won't you throw it in the comments? Uh, message us through the online campus. Be like, hey, I just said that prayer this Sunday. I want to start a brand new relationship with Jesus. We want to take you guys on that journey. And uh, if you throw that, that you've met, you said that prayer for the first time in the comments, we want to send you guys out a Bible and explain to you what this relationship with Jesus is all about. It is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And I could say that many others say the same as well. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.